0: Jairus, as we just read, leader of the local synagogue, most likely a Pharisee, which we hear about all the time. If you are familiar with the word Pharisee, you probably know that these guys have a bit of a bad rap in the Bible. They often follow Jesus around and kind of heckle him a bit and try and ask him clever questions to trip him up. And um, people even use the word Pharisee still, I actually... Looked this up because I don't really use the word Pharisee in my daily vocabulary. But I saw people use the word Pharisee just to mean like a hypocrite or someone who's like self righteous and all uppity and kind of like I think Jacob you mentioned last week. People use the word Good Samaritan, the phrase Good Samaritan. It's all right, sorry. I can wait for you to stop blowing your nose. No, no, not kind of like Jacob, sorry. People still use the word Pharisee now just to mean a hypocrite. So We know that, oh, he's gone, but we know that Jairus is coming to meet Jesus and you probably maybe, like me, have an expectation of what this Pharisee is going to do when he meets Jesus, but he does the complete opposite of what you might expect because when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. There's sort of part one of the story, paused, we're going into part two of the story and we'll come back to part one later. So part two, Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. I'm pausing again. I just wanted to highlight the fact that not only has this woman suffered physically for 12 years, she has also lived in shame, in uncleanliness, in you, you cannot be part of our community, you cannot enter the synagogue, you, can, you have no social relationships because you are unclean. Don't get me started on the fact that every woman is considered unclean maybe once a month. But she, in particular, has been unclean for 12 years and has lived in shame. All right, she had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realisation of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I want to talk about this. (laughs) I want to talk about this because the first time I heard this story, that was my least favourite part. Jesus embarrassing her in front of everyone. He could have let that slide. He could have just been like, all right, someone's taken some healing power from me, whatever, I'll move on with my day. But he stopped and confronted her and drew everyone's attention to her. Then a few weeks ago, Nath taught on Zacchaeus. Do you remember this? And how Zacchaeus's encounter with Jesus changed his identity and everyone knew about it because Jesus went out of his way, said, I'm coming to your house. Right, he's done the same thing with this woman. He's, st- he's made sure everyone knows she is no longer unclean. She is healed. Her life is transformed. Her identity is different. Genius. I'm sorry, God, for not liking that the first time I read it. That is the best. Her life had been completely transformed And everyone knew it. All right, back in. 35, verse 35. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. Can I share something else I've learned recently? Um, Back in the day, there was such a thing as professional mourners. Have you heard this before? probably, you probably, I hadn't, professional mourners, that's a job I could do well, just wailing and screaming and weeping and just making a big scene basically to, you know, I guess if you can afford to hire professional mourners, then everyone knows about the grief that your family is going through at this time and you might get a bit of respect or something, but anyway, I just thought that was cool, I just needed to tell you, He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, ha ha ha, but he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha koam, which in Aramaic means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Now, funnily enough, this bit, Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. If you read the Matthew version, this is how it ends. The report of this miracle swept throughout the entire countryside. Isn't that so good? Anyway people can't help themselves. All right, so like I've already said, I wanted to dive into this and figure out what was in here and I felt that there must be a reason that these two stories of healing are intertwined. Why are they intertwined? Why are they together? Why do we start one story about Jairus's daughter, get sidetracked by the woman and then go back to this other story? What significance is there for us in that? And like I said, I'm going to kind of take you through where my brain was going through this. So at first, I thought, and quite reasonably I think, is it because there are two stories about women? There aren't that many stories about women or about females. Can you call a 12-year-old girl a a woman? Maybe. Um, There aren't that many stories about women in the Bible... I looked up some stats, again, I can't help myself, and out of the 3,070 characters or people mentioned in the Bible, only 202 of them are women, 202 out of 3,070, so that's like 6.5%. I thought potentially... These stories have kind of been paired up because they're just two of the rare instances where a woman receives Jesus' healing. Um, However, like all three of the Gospels, like I said, they all recount these stories and in all of them, they are intertwined the same way. So I thought there's got to be something else. Maybe it's just because that's how it happened. Like maybe that's literally just the sequence of events and so... They have to be like that, maybe. Um, And I thought this because, look, we believe the Bible is the word of God, given by inspiration of God, teaches us about who God is, but we can't forget that the Bible is written by man, right? And when we read it, we have to, we have no choice but to read it through the lens of the author's chosen text type. Or their writing styles or their preferred languages, their opinions about what's more important in the story than other things and poetic devices and target audiences, all of that. And for example, Matthew's gospel, the gospel of Matthew, things happen in a different order in that book. A lot of people think that it's because Matthew has grouped his stories together by topic rather than just sequential but still in his version these two stories are intertwined exactly like that so there has to be some significance I think there has to be some significance in these two stories being intertwined all right then I thought is it poetic now I don't know a whole lot about poetry I know that the bible is full of poetry some of which we might read and think that it is a narrative or a recount, but it was actually poetry and we've just lost something in the English translation. Um, But a reason that I thought this story might be poetic is that both stories are linked with this number 12. Did you notice that? The woman had been bleeding for 12 years. The young girl was 12 years old. I know. And then I kept looking at it and I saw some other parallels between the stories in both stories it is declared that there is no cure or no remedy by professionals by authorities nothing can be done to heal this person in both stories the sick person is called daughter Jairus says my daughter is dying and Jesus calls the woman daughter You have been healed. In both stories, Jesus calls attention to their faith. He said to the woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. And he says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. So I'm going, there are some incredible parallels here. Maybe this is a bit of poetry from Mark. Maybe, maybe, I keep that there. Um, Then I started thinking about, Is there a shared teaching moment between the two stories? That, I think, is the most likely possibility here. Is there a shared teaching moment? Maybe. I think there's quite a few teaching moments here for us. I'm going to share some with you today. A possible takeaway from these stories is that Jesus is for everyone right? No matter you're standing, no matter if you're like the young girl and your father is really well known in the community and money isn't a, a problem for you or if you're like the woman and you have already spent every cent that you owned on doctors for nothing and you are still unclean and you are still an outcast, Jesus is still for you, right? That's good news, right, from this story and you can definitely take that away from this story. I have, I love that. Another possible takeaway, again, kind of like what Nath talked about a a couple of weeks ago, choosing faith over fear, that's definitely another takeaway. Again, I've already mentioned, kind of like the story of Zacchaeus, that your identity is forever changed when you encounter Jesus. There is just so much good news in these stories. And I feel like we can probably relate to some of these stories in the room. Especially that last one. You are no longer an outcast because God calls you son. God calls you daughter. That's good news and that's a lot of our testimonies, I'm sure. The woman's situation in this story, the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, resonates with me personally. That's not my exact situation. I wouldn't be wearing white pants otherwise. Um, That is not my situation, but... It resonates with me, it hits home. I, you know, sorry, again, I'm not going into too much information, hopefully, but she'd tried many doctors, she'd spent everything she had, she'd gotten no better, in fact, she'd gotten worse. Is this, you don't have to share, but think to yourself is this anyone else's story? You found yourself feeling utterly hopeless, maybe in regards to health, maybe in regards to finances or relationships, but you found yourself feeling utterly hopeless like this woman. Okay. Let me tell you where I ended up. Let me tell you why I think these two stories are intertwined or... Where I think there is significance in the fact that these two stories are intertwined. That's probably how I should phrase it. I think it's right here in verse 35. Could we get verse 35 back up on the screen, please? Thank you. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. This is the most important verse for me, I think, in the story. You probably think I'm nuts that this isn't that important because we already know the ending. We already know that there is use troubling the teacher now, right? Jesus still goes and heals the girl, brings her back from the dead. We know the ending. But let me explain why I think this is the most significant part of this story and why they needed... To be intertwined. Without the story of the woman, I guess interrupting the drama, interrupting Jesus going to heal the little girl, this moment could not have happened and I needed it to happen. (laughs) This has been me and I wonder if it's been you as well. I've got a feeling it's probably been a lot of you. But this has been me. There is no hope. There is no use troubling the teacher. There's no cure. There's no point. It's too late. I'm too far gone. I'm too broken. And there is no use troubling the teacher now. Even after Jesus just healed a woman... Even after he healed someone in a completely hopeless situation, they still say there is no use troubling the teacher now. And I find myself right there in my hopeless situation saying there is no use. Even when I know that vic- Jesus is victorious over sickness, even when I know that Jesus is victorious over death, I still find myself right here saying there is no use Do you know what I think about the messengers when I read this though? And you probably had the exact same thought. Who are you? (laughs) Who are you to tell Jesus that there's nothing that can be done? Who are you to make that assessment of Jesus' power, knowing the miracles that Jesus can perform? And so I am going to say this right now. I'm going to continue saying this to my fears and to my doubts. Who are you to tell Jesus what he can't do? Who are you to tell my God that my sickness is too big for him? Who are you to tell my Jesus who is victorious over the grave that there is no use? How dare you? There is nothing too big for our God to handle. There is nothing too hard. There is nothing too broken. There is nothing too far gone. There is nothing that God can't take and resurrect or heal or transform or revive or renew or use to build his kingdom. Right? Hallelujah. We worship a good God, a powerful God who shows up over and over and over again. I'm going to ask Dan to come and lead us through that God of revival song again because the words of that song are too good to ignore. I am going to suggest in this time, if you need to pray with someone, if you need to ask someone to yell at you and say, who are you to tell God that there is no use, then do that right now. If you are someone who just wants to worship and declare God's goodness over your life, do that right now. But Dan is going to lead us through this God of Revival song. That's who God is, right? A God of Revival, always. He has never not been a God of Revival. So thank you, Dan. God, we praise you, we glorify you and we thank you that there is no broken body that you can't raise no soul that you can't save, that literally all things are possible with you, God. We thank you that you show up over and over again, that you are faithful always. God, we thank you for the hundreds of instances in your word where you heal someone in a hopeless situation and you transform them. And we thank you for the hundreds of times where we have seen it in our lives where you have healed someone or transformed someone in a hopeless situation. We give all glory to you, God. And like has already been prayed before, we know that there is some physical healing that has to be done in our church at the moment. There is also some spiritual healing that has to be done. And so, God, I just hand all of this over to you right now. Holy Spirit, come and do what you do. We are trusting in the name of Jesus and we are trusting in your goodness, God. Thank you that there is absolutely nothing too far gone for you, nothing too big, no problem too big. Even our little problems that we think aren't worth bothering you about, God, we thank you that you care about those as well. And that, who are we to make an assessment over what is too big or too small for you to care about? Who are we to make an assessment based on our fears and our doubts? What you can do, God. So, God, for your kingdom, we we pray for more um, souls to be saved across this city and across this nation, God. Like Dan has already said, we pray that you shine your light on Adelaide because that is not a prayer that is too big for you to handle. We love you. We love who you are, God. Thank you for the strongholds that are crumbling and the chains that are being broken.
1: I actually think uh, I want to do a little bit more. Is that okay? We're we good. How how good a word is that for us to hear right now? It talks about two uh, two people who acted in faith, right? And and we know that acting in faith isn't just maybe thinking or praying in our head. <laughs> this morning we know we have a God. Who, who knows our thoughts and our prayers and hears our prayers as, as we sit, as, uh, as we just sit and pray. God hears and answers and He's with us. But I just think that there's another step of faith that's needed this morning. If we truly want to break off some of those lies... That what we have to ask God isn't good enough or big enough or, or maybe we've, we've given up a little bit. And I actually think, we'll, we'll sing a little bit more, but I actually think this morning that there are some of us who need that healing. And I, I actually just think this morning as a community, why wouldn't we pray for each other for that healing too? And that might actually require, uh, like, a, a physical response. And that might just be this morning that, if you're needing some of that that breakthrough, the thing that you thought God couldn't do, I I just invite you to stand this morning. We as of just that first step of faith, right? The, the standing up. A woman wakes her way through the crowd to touch Jesus's, like she was desperate for it, right? Are we, are we desperate for it this morning? Are we going to reach out in faith? We have a God who, like, like that verse, there's no use troubling the teacher now. We have a God who's the opposite of that, let me tell you. This is Jesus is on his way to fulfill a pretty important task, to heal Jairus' daughter. And what does he do? He stops and he spends time with this woman. There's nothing there's nothing that we can't interrupt God for. That's a weird sentence. We have a God who cares so deeply and so much about you that is we should bring everything to him, right? It's not a whether we question, like Sarah was saying. It's not about us deciding what we think God will do. Let's, let's, let's move towards God. Let's keep asking. Let's keep asking in faith. I know that there's some people you may have given up. You may have prayed something. It may have been a long time ago. You may have kept praying for it. But maybe you're at your wit's end. I love the line. Jesus says, he says, stop your weeping. The child's not dead. She's asleep. That hope, that prayer isn't dead. So I just wanted this morning, we we will sing again. But I actually think we should mobilise together as church. But if you're in that position where you're like, "I I need God to break through. I need healing, whether it be physically, whether it be my head's just not in a right place at the moment. Maybe even spiritually. I just invite you this morning. There's no shame. There's only love and support. You might stand in faith in this moment right now and we pray. So can I ask that? If you, if you need that breakthrough this morning, just stand where you are. Yeah. Is there anyone else? We want to pray. We believe that God's a good God who wants to see that healing happen this morning, who wants to see you step into that full life, into a rest- into a restored, redeemed life. We have we have three people standing. I'm going to invite us all to gather around and let's pray. Let's pray for that healing. A God who is willing to do the impossible, right? The impossible, raising a child from the dead. Let's gather around. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, move in this moment. We thank you that you're a very, very good God. That Jesus, you care about our situation so deeply. We thank you, God, that there is nothing that you can't do. And we pray for healing. We pray for a restoring of hope. We pray physically, we pray mentally, we pray spiritually that, Jesus, that you would come and that you would heal and transform, that you would redeem, that you would restore. And we pray it not through our own strength or through our own name, but through the name of Jesus who has overcome. We thank you for your victory. We thank you that there is no body that you can't raise. And so we pray. Physical healing and health, right now, in the name of Jesus. We thank you that there's no situation in our minds that you can't transform and heal, and there's no soul that you can't save. Just invite you just in those groups just you might want to verbalize some prayers over these people now so let's just spend a couple of minutes praying hard, and then we'll sing again